Good evening and welcome to all of our wonderful viewers. And yes, welcome to Mindful Trinity. And as you all know, I am your host, Vaishnavi Charan. We have a very special guest here tonight. He's a well-renowned local and international leader. And he has, uh, he's also a spiritual activist. He has served in on over 30 private and public sectors. He, he was uh, the chairman of the board of Darling Wind Farm, which is the first demonstration wind farm in South Africa. He was also the governor on the International Energy Forum, which is an oil exporting and importing dialogue in Saudi Arabia. He is also an energy specialist and was the director of petroleum policy at the Department of Energy. And another thing, he also served as a director of a carbon trading company in London. So he's got quite a vast portfolio and quite a lot of experience in many sec in both public and the private sectors. But today he has recently retired to focus on his inward journey. And I think that is quite um, impressive for me especially, and I'm sure for you as well. So help me in welcoming our guest for, for this evening. By, by helping me, I mean, partake by sharing this across your live stream. I mean, uh, sharing this live stream across your social platforms. And um, yeah, actually engage in our conversation. We're gonna have a very in informative discussion. So good evening and welcome to Dr. Ram Chandar Singh. We are so grateful that you accepted our invite and you're here to share all of your insights and your knowledge with all of us. Vaishnavicharan, thank you. A very good evening to you and your listeners. I am delighted to spend an hour with you this evening. Thank you so much. So, um, yeah, as, as um, all of you already know, the discussion tonight is predictions from the Vedas. It's quite deep. So if you actually enjoy these types of discussions, you're actually in the right place. But before we actually begin, I want to read out a little uh, disclaimer that that I've put through to uh, put for uh, put together, sorry, for Mindful Trinity. So it goes like this: the opinions, views, and beliefs expressed are those of our guest speakers, and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Mindful Trinity or the policies of the company thereof. The content of the show does not constitute any legal or medical advice, and is provided for the general insight and guidance. If you require specific legal, medical, or professional advice, you should contact a specialist or a qualified practitioner. So also please note, please note that Mindful Trinity is a non-religious, non-sectarian organization, and we, we are not affiliated to any religious organization. So without further ado, um, let us get into our discussion. So to um, Dr. Ramchander, what are the Vedas? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, thank you. Thank you again. Well, Veda means knowledge. Veda means knowledge. And it's understood that Vedic knowledge or Vedic literature is the original knowledge. Sometimes, you know, a skeptic could ask you and I, how do you date knowledge? I mean, can you date circular knowledge when knowledge started? when history or geography started. It would be very difficult to do that. Mm -hmm. So we acquire most of our knowledge through our senses, sense perception. In other words, we see something, we taste, or smell, or hear, and that helps us um, develop a knowledge base. So we go to school or university to get knowledge. 
and knowledge that's beyond our experience. So the Vedas are really coming down in a tradition, firstly coming down in an oral tradition. You know that about 5,000 years ago, there was this great personality called Veda Vyas. Uh, he wrote the scripture down into the Sanskrit language. Now, it's interesting that, you know, 5,000 years ago, uh, somebody would argue, skeptic would tell, well, you know, how would you write something down 500 years ago, uh, 5,000 years ago? But, you know, language has been written down for about 5,500 years. So the Vedas, he wrote the Vedas down to make it readable for people like you and I. And it's recorded in Sanskrit and translated out of Sanskrit into English and many languages of the world. So Veda, that's basically what the Vedas mean. Like you get a very complex car you might buy. You get a handbook with a car. So for the creation also, uh, the, you know, the Vedic viewpoint is that there has to be a handbook that explains what's in this creation and how it works. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Turn? It does. Yeah, thank you so much for that. So what would you say, how accurate are these predictions? Well, I mean, accuracy is a uh, subjective thing, right? Um, just consider Nostradamus. Let's look at Nostradamus to get a sense before we can answer how accurate the Vedic, the Vedic prophecies are. I mean, Nostradamus, he was there, I think, in the 15th century, 1555. He was a French physician. He was a physician and a prophet. He wasn't a religious leader or he didn't belong for as I know, to any particular religious denomination. Mm -hmm. But he had this very unusual ability to predict things. So he predicted, for example, the bombing of Hiroshima accurately, the first moon landing, he predicted the future Pope. And all his predictions are in like four lines, four lines of rhythms. And based on his predictions, he used astrology to make his predictions. You know, he even spoke about the great fire in London. You know, it would be started through lightning and thunder. Wow. You know, there was a great fire in London in September 2nd, but it didn't start through lightning and thunder. Mm -hmm. It started because of something in a bakery that caught a light. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that he really made all of London a burning inferno. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he, he, I mean, he did some amazing things. Like he also predicted the French Revolution, that the royalty captivity. Uh, so he was a great seer. He was a genius in that sense. Mm -hmm. A lot of his predictions have come to pass. So your question is, how accurate is the Vedas? Now look at the prediction that Nostradamus made yes. about the year 1999. Mm -hmm. He said that he predicted that the world will come to an end in 1999 and the seventh month, meaning, you know, uh, seventh month of that year. Mm -hmm. And from the sky will come a king of, of terror like a comet or something. Mm -hmm. But there we go, you and I are here. 1999 has come and gone. Yes. So has Nostradamus been accurate? Yes, fairly accurate when mm -hmm. some things he got wrong. Now the Vedas are not like that uh -huh. because the Vedas are coming from an infallible source. Yes. Generally you would find 100% of the time the predictions are spot on. It's also important to note, I might just say this, that you know, when we talk about prophecy or predictions like that, we must first understand the Vedic time frame. Mm -hmm. You know, in uh, our time frames as human beings could be 60 years or 80 years. Mm -hmm. The Vedic time frame is very different. 
You know, it says that the best evidence of a creator, doesn't matter what denomination you belong to, mm -hmm. is that he exists amongst us in the form of time. Takes away your youth, makes you an old person, destroys yeah. empire. He's invisibly, uh, you know, in the creation and in, you know, on a very destructive path. So the Vedas say that like you get four seasons, spring, summer, autumn and winter, you get four ages. And these ages have very particular characteristics. For example, you know, the age that we are in now is called Kali. That's what the Vedas say. That age, it lasts for 432,000 years. And the age before that was Dwapara. You just double 432, you get 864,000 years. Then the one before that was called Traitor. When you add another 432, they all work in multiples of 432. Mm -hmm. So there's 1,296,000 years. Then you get Satya, you add another 432 to that, you get 1,728,000. Now, why is this important? Because the Vedas say they don't believe in a linear way of measuring. Everything is cyclical and um, it, it goes on for a very long period of time. So the prophecies you, the Vedas talk about, is normally like measured in the day of what the Vedas describe as, as the creator, the engineer of the universe, Lord Brahma. Mm -hmm. And this Lord Brahma, these four ages that I just gave you, mm -hmm. right? If you add up those four ages, you get 4,320,000 years. That's his one day. Mm -hmm. Now you add the same thing, you get his one night. So that's 24 mm -hmm. hours. But he lives for 360 days times he lives for 100 years. So he lives for like something like 311 trillion and 40 billion years. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking prophecy, we're not talking 15th century or 12th century or 21st century. You're mm -hmm. talking of a time scale mm -hmm. incapable of being measured by any instrumentation we have, any Swiss watch we have, or any precision equipment cannot measure 311 trillion, 40 billion years. So I just wanted to just say that in advance. Yeah. in terms of understanding accuracy, that we should be aware that the Vedic prophecies actually go through a very long period of time. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's actually quite uh, in, quite informative. And uh, hopefully our audience are actually understanding this as well because it's quite deep and not many people, even if they don't believe it, it's still there, it's still happening. So... Um, <laughs> Can you also, I mean, you already told us um, one of the predictions by Nostradamus, but can you tell us whether this COVID pandemic has been predicted in the Vedas? Not that I'm aware of. You know, there's been many, there have been many, many uh, um, pandemics in our time, mm -hmm. you know, in, 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 in historical records. Yeah. And these pandemics have, you know, the one in Europe, the Black Plague, Mm -hmm. I mean, that destroyed something like 25 million people died from that. Wow. You know, and, um, you know, at that time, medical science may not have been so, so advanced. Mm -hmm. But I'm not specifically aware of coronavirus, except to say that in the Middle Ages, you know, the bubonic plague was there. Mm -hmm. These microbial enemies, these little germs that attacks the human being, mm -hmm. and they surface from time to time. Okay. And, you know, you know, there's, there's a book, I don't know if you ever, ever saw a book written by a person called Dean Kunz. He mm -hmm. wrote this book in 1981. It's quite an interesting book. Okay. The book is titled The Eye, the Eye of Darkness. Mm -hmm. 
And in there, he says some quite amazing things. You know, he talks about a virus called Wuhan 400. Okay. <laughs> and he said yeah. that it was created as a bioweapon, full uh -huh. capability, can wipe about a whole nation or a city. So I would say that Kuhn's book, Eye of Darkness, has a very strong parallel mm -hmm. to what we are seeing today. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I've not uh, seen it, you know, I'm not a, such a scholar in the Vedas, but mm -hmm. most certainly for my limited reading, I've not seen anything uh, talking specifically to the coronavirus, except to say that in this age of Kali, mm -hmm. these kind of pandemics uh, are common because okay. it's a very distressful age. Okay. And one, you know, there you have the coronavirus and 20 years time you'd have something else. Yeah. And that's just the nature of the times that we live in. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I'm thinking as well, there's so many documentaries out there and also a lot of people that are into movies, there's also movies out there. And I'm sure these directors of the movies, they are getting the information somewhere in order to create such movies that is that we are actually experiencing right now. We are actually living in a movie itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, is there any way where we can avoid these predictions from coming true? No, we are just, you know, with the, the, I mean, the ecosystem in the creation is, is, is a superior person's ecosystem. And we are one entity within that ecosystem. Um, but it's very interesting that, you know, in this time, which is described in the Vedas to be a particularly difficult time for human beings to live. This 432,000 years, which is this Kali Yuga period, of which 5,000 years have passed, is particularly difficult. But in this time, in this time, this is described in the Vedas, it makes a prediction that is what's called a golden age. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's quite interesting because the golden age starts with, um, with a personality called Jaitanya. Jaitanya Mahaprabhu is more commonly known as. And he appeared in the 15th century. And, you know, he came with a very specific purpose to try and save humanity, to try and give humanity an easy way out. And he introduced, you know, some methods of worship and some methods of sacrifice uh, that last in that golden age. So beyond that golden age, life becomes even more difficult. So that golden age is 10,000 years. Mm -hmm. So in other words, 5,000 have passed. Next 10,000 will make it 15,000. If it lasts for 432,000 years, it means 400 in, in what is it, 417,000 years more to go for Kali Yuga. So you can expect more pandemics, more distress. Can I tell you what yes. the Vedas say will happen in Kali Yuga? Yes, please. Can I just list out just a few things? Yes, just please. to give you a sense, just to give you a sense, it's, it says in the Vedas that in this age of Kali Yuga, the following, you know, uh, kind of symptomatic of the age would be that our leaders, now remember these scriptures are written 5,000 years ago, okay? It's not something that's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's gone back a long time. It says that our leaders will be entrusted with what's called dasya dam. That means, you know, occupational duty of dishonest persons. And I think we see a fair amount of that, right? It says that cleanliness and mercy 
being truthful, these qualities will decline in the human being. That there'll be war and there'll be chaos. There'll be competition for land. Can you believe that? And yes. we see some of that now in the Middle East. Yes. It talks about that the gap between the rich and the poor will be so wide that it will be the basis for conflict. Mm -hmm. Then it talks to the collapse of the Vedic civilization. The Vedas itself talks about the collapse of the Vedic civilization. In other words, you'll see from the 12th century, if you study the history of India and its invasions, you can see how seriously Vedic culture was dented. So the Vedic view is that, you know, this is a, I mean, this could be a, a subject for a longer discussion, but the Vedic mm -hmm. view is that because of, because of mass meat consumption, you know, the killing of animals, mm -hmm. these things lead to wars. There's even one statement that I read in the Vedas that says that there'll come a time in that 417,000 years to go that the human beings will eat the flesh of their own fetus. Wow. Human beings will eat the flesh of their own fetus. And that people will worship money. Money becomes the central point of their lives. And then ego, we all have an ego, we know what it is. Mm. Ego becomes a very dominant and it rules the day. It also says that justice, today mm. we have like, you know, an excellent system of justice, but as Kali Yuga unfolds, it says that justice will only be for the rich. Mm. I think some will argue there's some truth in that today. Yeah. Uh, justice will only be for the rich and wealth alone will be the deciding factor for nobility. Mm. It also says that in this age, you know, there are four legs of like religiosity. One is austerity, compassion, truthfulness, impurity. These four ages that I gave you, I'm giving you a very good point, right? These four ages progressively decreases by 25%. So in this age of Kali, there's only 25% austerity, 25% compassion, 25% truthfulness, 25% purity. And it states that, you know, um, things like deceit, falsehood, violence and despondency and delusion and fear, poverty, these things will prevail and becomes exponentially worse yeah. as the time unfolds. So all of these things sound rather, uh, makes us rather depressed, doesn't it? Yes, and, it's already, <laughs> and we already see it's happening even though we're quite early in this Kali Yuga that you actually talk about. So exactly I can't right. even imagine what it's going to be like as we proceed into this. And you know what's more interesting about this, this prophecy in the Vedas? It also says, see, there's a natural order in society. There are some persons who are the teachers, the intellectuals, some persons who are business persons, some persons who are farmers. So in the Vedas, they describe these as varanas. Varanas means like your duty. So there's a natural system in society. No matter how you look at any society, there will always be academia, what's called the Brahmin class. Mm -hmm. Of course, this has been abused in India somewhat, but the, the real system given in the Vedas is that there are these four kind of like varnas and ashrams. So it says there that that student who's meant to be like a celibate monk, you know, where pure, purity and simplicity matter, in due course of time, you wouldn't find that class of student anymore. Where you have married people who are called householders, they are meant to be donating to the brahmachari or to the celibate students, yeah. they themselves become beggars. Mm -hmm. And then you get the vanapras, which is like, you know, when a, a couple spends a third order of life trying to 
reconcile their mortality and go to religious places. It says in the Vedas that these persons at that time were like living in places of pilgrimage, would leave pilgrimage and return to their homes. And here's something very interesting, yeah. that these sannyasins, these swamis, mm -hmm. as Kali Yuga process progresses, will become very greedy for money. Wow. Very greedy. Wow. Now that's very inconsistent with what we think about, right? We don't really yeah. see this, yes. but that's what the Vedas say, yeah? The Vedas also say that men will abandon their parents. Wow. their friends and their brothers and relatives, mm -hmm. that the Brahmin, you know, the priestly class person will only be known by the thread that he wears. So he'll go to the marketplace, buy a five rupee thread, put it on, and that makes him a Brahmin. Mm -hmm. There's no more testing the quality, purity, self-control. And, you know, the Vedas gives, it goes on like that in the 12th yes. canto of the Bhagavatam, that all the people will be disrespected, atheism will increase, mm -hmm. and people, people will be seen as learned if they can juggle words, mm -hmm. and diseases, depression, perversion, intoxication will increase. So those are the symptoms of this very difficult age of Kali Yuga that the Vedas points out. Yes, yes. Yeah, and we already see it happening. So... Um... Is there any solution? What what does the Vedas tell us? Um, do they give us any solutions in order to overcome this plague and also yeah, all does. of these symptoms that you talk about? It does. It's interesting that you know the Vedas have accurately predicted like a very important personality. Take for example, uh, Lord Buddha. You're familiar with Lord Buddha, right? Yes. Yes. Lord Buddha appeared. He appeared two and a half thousand years ago. But in the Srimad Bhagavatam, you'll find, which is 5,000 years old, there's a prediction that in this age of Kali, that the Supreme Being will appear in a province called Gaya, and he will be the son of Anjana. Mm -hmm. that, that's what the Vedas say. Yes. Now, that, that's who Lord Buddha is, and many people worship Lord Buddha. Yeah. The skeptics would say, well, actually, Buddha was born in Nepal, not Gaya, mm -hmm. and that his mother was Queen Mahamaya. That's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a historical fact. Yeah. But if you look at it more closely, you'll see that actually Lord Buddha, he attained an enlightenment under a tree in Gaia, and that was his real birth. Yeah. A few days after he was born, his mother had passed away. So his grandmother, Anjana, mm -hmm. you know, his grandmother had brought him up. So that was, she was like his mother. So it's pretty accurate. When you look at the Vedas closely, you see it's pretty mm -hmm. accurate. They also predict like, you know, if there are persons of Indian origin on your call, mm -hmm. they would know this personality, Lord Shiva. He's predicted. There's also like the great philosopher, Chanyaka Pandit, King Ashok, the great Buddhist empire emperor. He was predicted in the scripture. But of all of these predictions, to answer your question, is there a counterbalance? Is there something that will help us kind of get out of this quicksand? Yes, there is. The Vedas also say that there was a personality uh, who will appear, and I remember that we're talking here, Vedas 5,000 years ago, mm -hmm. right? It said that there will be a person uh, who, who will come in a role of a, like a, like a practicing devotee or practicing a religious person, and he will teach devotion to a divine being. His form will be golden, and that he will be a renunciate. In other words, he will be like a celibate monk, mm -hmm. and he will be born near the Ganges. Now, 500 years ago, this person, Jaitanya, actually appeared. Mm -hmm. And lots of 
books have been written about him. And in the Vedic literature, he is described to be the supreme divinity. So you have now somebody who appeared, like generally, you know, you, know, you think that uh, God may have appeared a very long time ago. The Vedas say that God actually appeared 500 years ago. Now, what is so special about his particular appearance and why am I mentioning it? I'm mm-hmm. mentioning it in response to your question. Mm-hmm. You know, you're asking, what is there? What can be done? Well, this personality, he started what's called the golden age. That's 10,000 years. You see, his particular uh, approach was that he was like a postman. He came and he delivered a very simple message and he demonstrated it. So he gave the most valuable thing, the most priceless thing, the most unattainable thing. And it made it available to the most common man at no cost. No discount, not a trade-off, no conditions, just simply absolutely free with absolute no consideration. He had no consideration for caste, creed, religion, male, female. He, you know, the recipient needed no qualification, no qualification whatsoever. So like how you get the transcendental Red Cross mission. So he was like on a transcendental Red Cross mission. It's unbelievable what he did. He gave the 16 names of God and he said, if you chant these 16 names, then you will achieve all success. Now, if you've got time, if your listeners have time, you should read up about this personality yes. and the process that he was actually given, the miracles he had performed. When I read about him in a book by the author called Kaviraj Goswami, is the most intriguing read. It comes in 17 volumes, but they're shorter versions of his biography. So he presents a kind of counterposition for Kali Yuga that there is a way out of it by us surrendering to the divinity, calling out the names of God and trying to become better human beings. Thank you so much for that. I think that's absolutely amazing advice, especially during this time where a lot of us are in distress and a lot of us are living in our minds. We're thinking that, uh, you know, life is actually so difficult, but we don't realize that all of us are experiencing the same same symptoms, same things, and we all should just get together via our, you know, mutual, I mean, virtual platforms, or even in our homes with our families, even if we're living on on our own, we can still do this, and our energies all get together somehow, it's collaborative, and we just focus on our inner self and prayer, prayer actually does heal everything. So you would know, you would know, this is a great king. Yes. His name was Yudhisthira. Yes. You read about him in a very classic called the Mahabharata. Mm-hmm. So somebody asked him a question. They asked him, you are the king of the entire world. And he was at that time. Mm-hmm. What is the most amazing thing? And you know what the king replied? He says, my great-grandfather has died. My grandfather has died. My father has died. But I think I'm never going to die. Wow. He says the consciousness of mankind is that the mortality only occurs to them at some point in time. But an intelligent person, you don't need prophecy to know you go into all. We'll all have our final moments. It doesn't have to be prophesized. There's nobody living on this planet who has forgotten to die. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their moment. So this great king was trying to make the point that there must be more to life than just the mundane pursuits that we are generally chasing after. Mm-hmm. So he tried to make, you know, by, by making that statement, 
that many people have tried, my grandfather, great, they've all tried and they've all become victims of death. So just pause, just pause, stop, take a deep breath and kind of ask, who am I and what am I doing? What am I supposed to be doing? Now the Vedas have been designed to answer that question in great detail. Wow, thank you so much. This has been such an informative, such an educational discussion for me and my listeners. Um, I'm sure they're actually grasping everything that you are saying, and I'm sure they also want more of this. But I know we're also running out of time. <laughs> I'm going to recap our discussion. And um, after I recap, we're going to go uh, onto my uh, live stream, um, the comments feed. And because our, our all of our audience, they also got some questions for you as well. So to our audience, if you have any questions, please try, start sending them through. So after the recap, I'll be able to actually uh, ask Dr. Ramchander to, re, uh, to actually answer them for you. So to recap, I actually tried to take down notes, but I don't think I actually did a very good job, but I'm gonna try. So like uh, Dr. Ramchander Singh mentioned, Vedas means knowledge and it comes down in oral tradition through a disciplic succession. And it was written about 5,000 years ago, translated from Sanskrit to many other languages. Um, so there's four ages, there's Kali Yuga. Can you please mention the other three Yugas again? I know one of them is Treta Yuga and the other one is I think Dwarpa the Yuga. Dwarpa, Dwarpa Yuga and Satya Yuga. Satya Yuga. So um, yeah, there's four Yugas. And Kali Yuga also has the golden age, which lasts for 10,000 years of the four, and four million. Is it 4 million or 432,000? 4,320,000. Yeah, 4, Got it. I'm not a very good listener. <laughs> so yeah, it's an ecosystem and it's superior, especially during this time. Um, it's in, in Kali Yuga, it's very difficult time for humans to live. And I'm sure all of us, can agree with that. Dr. Ramchandra Singh also mentioned there'll be lots of war, chaos, and there's a gap between rich and poor, decline in mm -hmm. um, cleanliness, money is worshiped, and justice only for the rich. So that's some of the notes that I took down, and I'm sure there's, uh, there's a lot that I actually missed out, but if you want to actually learn more about this, you can always go and view the, um, our discussion afterwards, because it will be on, on Facebook forever, and it'll be on YouTube soon, and also onto my podcast. So I'm just gonna go back and check for any of the, okay, there's one. This is from Bhakti Rasa. She says, there are so many predictions for this age ahead based on the Vedas, as you have explained. What is the most practical thing we can do in this lifetime and more importantly, in this present moment, to strengthen our relationship with God, no matter what name we call him. Yes. So, so we are all spiritual beings, right? How do we know that? We know we are spiritual beings because we aspire for eternality. Even when somebody dies, mm -hmm. they say in loving, they're trying to preserve us in loving memory of. Um, we're looking for all pleasure, all bliss, so we are intrinsically spiritual beings. Now, that spiritual being, because it's intrinsically spiritual, doesn't belong here. Like you take a fish out of water, you give it a crown and a color TV, 
the fish is going to die because it's not in its natural habitat. So the reason why human species of life are not fully fulfilled and we always stress is because we're not in our natural environment. Mm -hmm. Our natural environment is that we are eternal servitors of a supreme being. And you can test that. As a child, you'll see you're always serving somebody. You grow older, you're serving somebody. You work, you serve your boss. When you get married, you serve your husband or your wife. You have children, you serve your children. You're always serving. But because it's service, maybe somewhat misdirected. It's, it's directed correctly, but I'm saying ultimately the eternal service that we're meant to be servants of God. So how do we reconnect with that to, be, to being servants of God? We have to chant his holy name. So, you know, you'll be interested in the Bhavisha Purana, which is a Vedic text. The Holy Prophet Muhammad is predicted. Lord Jesus Christ is predicted. So ultimately, you see, there's no contradiction in religion. And all of them are reconciled on this one point that uh, the only way to approach God is by chanting his holy names. Yeah. You know, it says from the rising of the sun to the setting, God's name should be called. It's what it says in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So the Vedas has many, many very particular instructions about chanting God's names. So that is the methodology for this age. Wow, thank you so much. So there's also a comment we have from Nakam Yoga. Her name is actually Naomi, and she's one, one of our international viewers. She says, um, how interesting is this? Thank you for, thank you for this. So, thank you, Naomi. Yeah. So we also have another question from Sarika. She asks, how, do, how did you defend that the Vedas was indeed spoken by God? and not many written, not, not man written, as many people often say? Yeah, that's a very good question. That's a very good question. Now, very simplistically, we said before that the Vedas are eternal, right? Mm -hmm. That they are coming from the Supreme Being and that they were written 5,000 years ago. Um, <clears throat> Let me just explain it another way. You see, the tradition was initially an, an oral tradition. So in other words, the teacher would speak and the student would hear it and the student would remember it and speak it to his student. So 5,000 years ago, memory and the ability to remember was becoming impaired. So Veda Vyas, who was this personality, was actually the Vedas describes to be God himself. He decided to write down the Vedas in the Sanskrit language. Now, even if you look at English, even up to the 16th century, there's only about 30,000 words. Today, you have 171,000 words. The Sanskrit language is very different, okay? So he wrote it down, um, you know, into a format that you could, you could read, you, can photo, you, know, you could copy and share around. And that format, what he wrote down is what we have today as the Vedas. Um, how do we know this? Because we actually have the Vedas. Where would the Vedas have come from? <laughs> if, if, if somebody didn't write it down. You know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but in those days, they actually wrote them on leaves, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, we have another um, question by Bhakti Rasa. She asks, please explain why this, the slaughter and killing of animals is linked or will perpetuate wars and strife in the world? 
before I go, there's something came to mind to my mind about the previous question. Mm-hmm. You see, um, this person Veda Vyas, uh, he was a very powerful person. He's not like an ordinary because we tend to think an ordinary human being may have written this. For example, it's described that he was in a, he had a particular consciousness. It was called Labdo Pashanti Sanskrit. That means that he entered so deeply into his consciousness that external time did not could not affect him. The material nature could not affect him. Nothing of this world, past, present, or future could affect him. In such a state of mind, he saw the degradation of future, what society would be like in the future. And because he was actually the incarnation of God, according to the Vedas, he decided to write it down. Wow. Because he, he was able to see far into the future. And in modern history, as I was saying, the first scripts that were ever written was 5,500 years ago. Mm-hmm. So to accept that the Vedas were written 5,000 years ago is not an unreasonable proposition, mm-hmm. not an unreasonable proposition at all. And um, you know, as I said, it's all written in Sanskrit language. In the 16th century, the English language only had 3,000 words. That tells you just how different, because if the English language had 3,000 words in the 16th century, and the Vedas was like 5,000 years ago, and you had his volumes and volumes, I mean, Bhagavatam has 18,000 verses. Wow. Right? So clearly it was, locked, it was locked into the Sanskrit language for all the time until somebody translated it. Mm-hmm. And the person who translated it is the founder of this religion called Hare Krishna, where mm-hmm. he himself is predicted in the scripture. So that's interesting. Yes. You know, he traveled. Yeah, I mean, you know, it said that. Anyway, it's it, it's a long, but but it's predicted that that he would travel across the ocean, mm-hmm. and he, and you know, and he spent a lot of time translating this book. So these books are there. I mm-hmm. encourage you to get a chance to read them, mm-hmm. and it's good to read other scripture also, like the Bible, the Holy mm-hmm. Quran, because mm-hmm. all these books are very enriching. Yes. And you compare that at its core, you will not find a, a you know a, a conflict at its core. You'll find the basic teachings are pretty much the same. Now, sorry, Vaishnavi, I, I forgot the question you were asking me now. Okay, I'll read, I'll read <laughs> it out again. It's fine. Um, please explain why the slaughter and killing of animals is linked or will perpetuate wars and strife in the world. Because killing of animals is a merciless act. It's a demonstration that we don't have compassion. Uh, these animals, they, they also belong to a family unit. I don't know if you've ever been to an abattoir. You would see with your own eyes mm-hmm. how stressful yeah. you know, it actually is. So then from the Vedas say, from a karmic point of view, the animal doesn't have the ability to differentiate. It's not discerning. It doesn't have higher intelligence. So when you kill an animal, from a karmic point of view, the animal has to be reborn again. And that's where the sin lies, according to the Vedas. The human being has that discrimination. Uh, You know, he can do or not to do, but the animal doesn't have that. So when we kill the animals, the Vedas say that we are bringing upon ourselves a very bad karma. You've heard the word karma before. You know, whatever you sow, that's what you will reap. So why would we think if we kill an innocent animal? Actually, the Vedas say that there's 17 people implicated in that that cycle. The person who, you know, looks after the animal, kills the animal, transports the animal. You know, if you go to the butcher, the person who's serving, all of those persons are implicated. 
So it's a very serious, in God's eyes. I mean, you see a, you see a picture of Lord Jesus Christ holding a lamb. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Yes, sir. Can you imagine Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ going home and having a bride? It's inconsistent, huh? It's inconsistent. So, so, so the Vedas say that animal killing is most certainly the cause of a lot of the uh, wars that we experience in this because animals are being industrialized, massive, wide scale killing, unnecessarily so because there's enough food. You know, I mean, just economically speaking, a herbivorous animal is to eat so much more vegetation to give you a pound of meat. Mm-hmm. When you could have gone directly to that vegetation. Yes. Anyway, that's 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 quite a topic. Maybe on one of your future podcasts, you can have some kind of interactions on that. You know. Definitely. But the Vedas, but the Vedas simply say that 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 that's how it is. If you kill animals, you get the reaction for it. Okay. So this is another. Um... A comment from uh, from Naomi, and she also asks a question. Firstly, she says she's read the Bible and the Quran as well as the Bhagavad Gita, and she asks, "Would you recommend anywhere to learn Sanskrit from an Indian teacher? Also, do you have any further reading reading recommendations on the Vedas? Also, Indian authors. Thank you. So, let me tell you a bit about Naomi. She's actually uh, of Indian origin." but she actually um, was adopted and uh, adopted parents took her to Sweden and from Sweden now she's living in Scotland. So yeah, she's been traveling uh, around. Naomi, so these, um, if I remember your question, you can see my hair is gray, so I won't remember everything I've just heard. Let me just try and recall what was asked. If for a recommendation of a, of a book, um, I mean, to learn Sanskrit, yeah. it's a very difficult language to learn Sanskrit. Uh, these books are in English now. All of the Vedas, Bhaktivedanta Swami, translated all of them into English. Mm-hmm. So you can find that in any Amazon or all these books are on Amazon. Now. Mm-hmm. The book that I would recommend you read that has really transformed my life personally, because I'm a very skeptical person. It takes a lot to convince me about anything, you know. Uh, so I read this book called Bhagavad Gita, as it is. And, uh, you know, then I read the book after that called the Srimad Bhagavatam. This Bhagavatam is what this Vyasadeva I'm telling you about. That's the one he, that's the one he put into, into writing. Mm-hmm. And they say, if you read these two books, your knowledge base will become so expanded mm-hmm. that you, because with knowledge, knowledge is what differentiates us. The way we behave, what we do, what we don't do. For example, if I know there's a stove is on, it's red hot. And somebody tells me, if you put your hand on that stove, you will get burnt. Yes. So somebody's giving me knowledge. If I accept that knowledge, I wouldn't do that. But if I doubt and I want to experiment, I'll go and put my finger on the stove and I realize it's very hot. Mm-hmm. So there are different ways of acquiring knowledge. The Vedas say the best way is to hear from an authority. So when you, when you read these books, the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavatam, you're hearing from authorities. And that's why it's an infallible source of information. Well, okay, thank you. So there's another one from, uh, this, it's a comment from Naomi. She says she really likes what, she, what you are saying about the killing of animals. She is now vegan and she would love to listen to further chat about this. So it looks like you are in demand to be back on our podcast. And I will yes, be- happy to do that. 
Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. So we've come to the end of our, um, our discussion, which was absolutely amazing. I am so grateful that you actually gave us this your time to learn from you and uh, yeah, discuss topics such as this, because I feel sometimes things that are so important, topics that are so important, society decides to just sweep it under the carpet and not deal with it. So I'm trying to make this platform um, a non-judgmental platform where it's safe for all of us to discuss and learn and grow together. I think you're doing a very beautiful thing. Thank you. I think we owe you a debt of gratitude giving you valuable time that uh, you know because we're all human beings we all want to be cared for and loved and protected somebody has something valuable if you have a vaccine mm -hmm. say you have a vaccine yes. uh, what did you do you share it right yes, so these kind of platform it allows you to open our to open our mind and um to look at higher metaphysical things mm -hmm. which is very important so thank you very very much i really appreciate it Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you actually here with us and you educating us as well. And like I always say, we always look for nutrition for the body, but we fail to realize we also need nutrition for the mind. And um, like you also mentioned, all of these knowledge comes from, it actually is injected into us orally through disciplic succession and you actually got it from a higher source and you're giving it to us very kindly. So we're actually sharing it with the world now. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Also, thank you. Thank you. Also, uh, do you have any parting thoughts just to leave us with? We can maybe meditate it, uh, meditate on it, and we can start the next day on a positive note. You see, prophecies are very important because what it does is that the human mind is inquisitive. So if there's a prophecy and it proves to be true, one's faith becomes embedded and once faith becomes expanded. So in that sense, prophecy is true. But just consider this, uh, what you and I cannot do, we cannot stop ourselves from dying. You and I will have a personal date. No one misses this date. And the Vedas presses this point home. He says, you must inquire who you are. More than the ideas of prophecy and all of these long time scales and these ages. Because when you know who you are, it'll inform how you behave. When you know who you are, it'll reprioritize your life. It gives you a sense of planning and navigation. So you have like, you, we all need some kind of stewardship. You know? mm -hmm. So the, the Vedas does that. I found when I read the Vedas, the parts of the Vedas, that it kind of pricked an inner awakening that caused me to move in a particular direction. I don't feel conflicted with any other faith or anything, and I feel a certain amount of peace and happiness and joy from following what the Vedas is saying. So, you know, when we get the opportunity, let's try and make that investment, try and read some of these books, have more of these exchanges. And I really recommend Bhaktivedanta Swami's books. Because these books are in English, easy to read. You know, you can even get them on your e-reader, get them on your phone, mm -hmm. and and you and read it for yourself, and you can tell me what you think. I mean, I think they're a treasure house of knowledge. Yeah. Thank you, Vaishnav. Thank you so much. So, yeah, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I mean, this evening it was such an informative discussion, and I'm sure you'll actually more enlightened and more enlivened with this knowledge as well. 
So um, just so you know, uh, Mindful Trinity is now on podcast. We actually on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many, many more. There's a link on my page. You can actually go onto it and you can actually find out where we are. We're also on YouTube. So this video that we, this live stream will be on YouTube by tomorrow morning. So yeah, we actually all over right now. So we're trying to make most of um, this negative situation that most of us, I mean, all of us are actually faced with. And next week we have Dr. Jyoti Shrikewal. She's a ophthalmologist and she's gonna be educating us on IK, everything IK. So thank you again, Dr. Ramchander Singh. And yes, we'll, we'll be in touch and we'll let, uh, you can actually let me know when you're available again. Wonderful, thank you. Thank you, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.